This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This episode is sponsored by TBR, Book Riot's new subscription service offering tailored book recommendations for readers of all stripes. Been dreaming of a stitch fix for books? Now it's here. Tell TBR about your reading preferences and what you're looking for and sit back while your bibliologist handpicks recommendations just for you. TBR offers plans to receive hardcover books in the mail or recommendations by email, so there's an option for every budget. Visit mytbr.co slash treatyourshelf to sign up today. That's mytbr.co slash treatyourshelf. You're listening to All the Books, a weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases. This is episode 177, and today we are talking about books being released on September 25th, 2018, and more. I'm Liberty Hardy, here with Jen Northington, and we're coming to you from bookriot.com. Hello. Hi. How's it going? Well, there's a ghost in my computer. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) It's that time of year. I don't know. I was just trying to read the opening remarks, and (laughs) it swapped pages on me. (laughs) Do not send your ghost my way, please, and thank you. I have enough. I don't need any new gremlins in my technology. (laughs) Oh, maybe it's a spider. (laughs) No! So, okay, I went camping this past weekend, which Liberty knows, and... I got a spider in my hair. It was very unnerving. But I was a grown-up and did not totally freak out. I kept my cool and got it out of my hair, and it was fine. Yeah. But still. Uh, yeah. We were both. Were we both on vacation last week? We were. How was? Did you actually manage to vacation at all? No. <laughs> no. No. It, but I didn't go to the hospital, and I didn't go to the doctor, so I did better than my last two vacations. <laughs> well, that's a win. <laughs> yeah. I, I think... I'm just held together by tension, and if I were to relax, I would just fall into pieces. Like, it, I'm just being held together by habit now. Oh, I don't, friend. I, I don't know how to relax. I get so stressed out about the time that I have and then what I'm going to do with it that I end up doing nothing. But I've heard from a lot of people that they feel the exact same way, so I don't feel alone, at least. No, I really love doing nothing, for the record. Yeah, I wish I could, like, do nothing and think I'm doing nothing and enjoy it. I don't know. Right, right. But, so... Well, anyway. Books. How about some books? How about some books? It's a great new release day. I'm pretty excited to tell you about my first one. It is Transcription by Kate Atkinson, which new Kate Atkinson is a reason to celebrate. Yay! Mm -hmm. Uh, It's historical fiction, like her last couple. It starts off in 1950. There's a young woman named Julia Armstrong. She works at BBC Radio. She's a producer. She does all kinds of stuff behind the scenes. And one day when she's going to get her lunch, she runs into an old acquaintance who pretends not to know her. And then it jumps back to 1940, and you learn that when she was 18 years old, uh, she was recruited for the MI5 security service. Uh, She was, like, 18 years old. She had been in school. She had, like, a very promising education ahead of her, but her mother got very sick, and she had to drop out of school to take care of her. She never knew her father, so 
she kind of just doesn't go back to school and she gets a job as a secretary and then she's recruited to work transcription. Uh, she goes and gets set up next door to an apartment where one of her co-workers is posing as a Gestapo agent and he invites Nazi sympathizers to come in and tell them all their secrets uh, and she sits in the other room and listens on headphones and, and types it down. Um, and they figure, like, this way it's better that they're telling their secrets to a fake German than to actually be delivering them to the Gestapo themselves. So she does this for a while, but then her boss realizes that her talents are being wasted, and she becomes a spy herself. And then she is in more danger, and more bad things happen. Um, you kind of get teased at the very beginning in the 1950 segment that something terrible is going to happen, and then right as they get to the terrible thing in the 1940 section, she jumps back to 1950, and I was like, no! Oh! It was a great tease. It was, it was a great place to end it. I loved Life After Life, but I loved A God in Ruins even more, which was the follow-up featuring Teddy. I, I love like, all the detail and how much time she spends on the atmosphere of that era. Like, when I was reading God in Ruins, it was hard to believe that she had never been up, like, in a plane during World War II because it was so realistic. And this is kind of like that. It's really fun, like, the spying and all the different aspects and all the double-crossing and all the details she puts into it and, like, who do you trust? Um, you know, so she runs into this old acquaintance who pretends that he doesn't know her and now she's wondering, because her boss taught her to never trust a coincidence, like, is something happening now? Like, why is he back in her life? So, it's so good. Again, it's called Transcription, and it's by Kate Atkinson. I still need to read A God in Ruins, and <gasps> now I definitely want to read this one. And who knows, maybe she, maybe Kate Atkinson was a secret spy. It maybe she she would have been like in the sixties or seventies. Well, obviously not probably. in the forties. <laughs> I just meant like in life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> unless she no, has, I'm like trying to imagine it. Unless like, she has like a time travel machine or something, which would be well, even that's cooler. I'm, that's my first choice. Is like she can teleport somehow. Yeah, yeah. I I like this this author fan fiction we're writing here. <laughs> <laughs> yes. All right. And you know who she takes with her? Idris Elba. Oh, no. <laughs> I mean, again, like that would be I would I would read slash watch slash whatever the heck out of that. Um. Okay. Okay. I should tell you about a book. I'm. Yes. I am referring though. I'm I'm bringing back a book that came out last week because I love it so much and it didn't get talked about on this podcast yet and therefore it is fair game. It's Rosewater by Tade Thompson, which is the first in a new series called the Wormwood Trilogy. And this book is so weird, y'all. Like it is it is like Jeff Vandermeer weird. It's Lauren Bucus weird. Like it's super, it's China Medieval weird. It's super, super weird. Um, it takes place in sort of like a very recognizably our ish version of Nigeria, but instead of like just, you know, like normal whatever, there's these alien biodomes, and one of them is in Nigeria. And it's sort of just like appears and roots itself in into the land and now there's this alien presence and nobody can get in 
and but things are coming out like weird spores and fungus. This is like the Jeff Vandermeer hook in here. Like weird fungus always reminds me of Jeff Vandermeer. Um, sorry, Jeff. Um, and they they have these side effects on the people living around and near the biodome. And some people get powers, and some people get crazy healings, and other people are affected in bad ways. Um, and the main character Caro is a person who has gotten powers um like he has like psychic slash mental powers and he has been recruited by this like shadowy government task force to do various things but when you sort of meet him he just like he's like this mid-level job at a bank um that's kind of psychical like he he like helps make sure that other people with psychic powers can't hack other people's atm like transactions basically um and so it's like a it's like a whatever job it's like a clock in clock out job um but he's also this government agent on the sly but he kind of hates it and he's he's a little bit i mean not a little bit he's kind of a jerk he's he's a jerk um and you're just like oh why are you so like oh like i don't know how long i can hang with this but the story is so good and other characters sort of take him to task for his jerkiness and more than once. And every time it happened, I was like, yeah, you tell him. Um, and so the characters are really good. The plot is so weird. I don't even really know how to sum it up aside from like to crib from the description and say that, you know, something or someone has started killing off these people with powers. And so he like, he is pretty sure he's next and has to figure out what's going on to stop it so that he doesn't die. But there's, you know, bribery and drug lords and there's, you know, prejudice and there's weird things getting set on fire and there's bizarre, like, sort of virtual reality stuff. And it's just all bananas. It's super bananas. And I really loved it. And I loved even more that it is the first in a series and it feels like, especially the end, they set it up where it feels like you're going to get to hear more from some of the secondary characters who I am obsessed with. So yeah, it's got aliens, it's got superpowers, but it's like dark and grim and just a really strange and wild ride. Um, it is pretty gory. I wouldn't say it's scary. Like I'm a lightweight when it comes to horror, and I don't. I wouldn't classify this as horror necessarily. Um, but it's like in that Victor Laval camp too. Like there are some scenes where you're just gonna be like, ugh. Um, so know that going in. Uh, and yeah, we're. I'm, I loved it so much. And Sharifa and I on SFF, yeah, have been looking for a book to do a book club for. So we decided to do a special book club episode of SFF. Yeah, that's going to air on Halloween, and it's going to be for this book. So if you pick it up and read along, you should listen to that episode, too, because we're going to talk about it. So again, that's Rosewater by Tade Thompson. There's a banker who's recruited by the government in transcription. <gasps> it's like we were on the same wavelength. Whoa! It's like a weird yeah. coincidence. I like it. I like it. Yeah, but as her boss says, never trust a coincidence. Well, that's so true. Especially when you've got supernatural aliens involved. So, yeah. you know, yeah. And you got to be cautious there. <laughs> Speaking of aliens, tell us about our first sponsor. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Not at all a segue, but let's do it. 
Um, so our sponsor, one of our sponsors for this show is Third Love. Using thousands of real women's measurements, Third Love designs its bras with breast size and shape in mind so that they fit impeccably and feel even better. And they have now added 24 new sizes, which means that they offer the most options of any brand, a total of 70 different sizes. So you can find your fit in 60 seconds online and then order and try on at home with their Fit Finder quiz. Um, there's, so there's no awkward fitting room experiences, which is the thing that I hate. Um, and they are super comfortable bras. They're tagless, so they're not itchy. The fabric is really smooth. Um, and they guarantee a perfect fit, so returns and exchanges are free and easy. I have a couple of these bras, and I do love them. They are very good. Um, the t-shirt bra in particular, like it does what it says on the label, which is not always the case with t-shirt bras. So I am a fan. So Third Love knows there's a perfect bra for everyone, and right now they are offering listeners 15% off your first order. So go to thirdlove.com slash books now to find your perfect fitting bra and get 15% off your first purchase. That's thirdlove.com slash books for 15% off today. Okay, so my next... My Fitbit is telling me it's time for me to get up and walk, so I'm sorry. <laughs> Fitbit for recording Fitbit. I'm like, why is my wrist buzzing? I'm so excited about this next book. Um, so my next book is the first one I've read that I really feel like is a great fall read for this year. A great Halloween read. It's Small Spaces by Catherine Arden. If you recognize her name, that is because she writes the Adult Bear and the Nightingale series, the third of which is coming out, I think, at the end of this year, beginning of next year. Very exciting. This is her first middle grade novel, and like I said, it's perfect for fall. It's about a girl named Ollie. She's in sixth grade. She's dealing with a terrible loss. I'm not entirely certain why they don't mention in the blurb, like, who she loses because everybody talks about it everywhere, but I'm just, I'm gonna go with it and not say it. Uh, so she's, she lost someone close to her about a year before, and so she's just thrown herself into books, and she doesn't want to deal with anybody, and she just wants to read books and be left alone. She's tired of people feeling sorry for her. She's tired of the faces they make when, you know, she doesn't do something quite right, or she's late, or she just, you know, she's just fed up with everybody. Um, and so one day she's leaving school and she goes down by the river to be by herself and think and read and there's a woman standing there and she's all frazzled, this woman, and she's holding this book and, and she's saying to Ollie, you know, um, I have to avoid, you know, large spaces and the last thing I have to do is, is throw this book in the river. And Ollie's like, what? And she's like, I have to throw this book in the river. The smiling man said, you know, it's, it has to be done and... And so she's like, you can't throw a book in the river. And, and she's like, yes, it has to be done. But, you know, Ollie, being Ollie and loving books, she runs up and grabs the book from this woman and runs away. And, like, we're all, like, 100% behind that because, like, don't throw a book right. in the river, right? Like, you're like, go, Ollie. But, you know, that's it's not a great idea. Uh, she starts reading this book when she gets home. It's this old, like, diary story about a love triangle between these two brothers and this woman um, she chooses one over the other. The brother that was spurned leaves the house. He's never seen again, or he's, or he goes missing, and their mother is all upset, and then the other brother goes looking for him. Seems like he's made a deal with the smiling man guy, uh, so his brother comes back, but you really didn't want his brother to come back because it's not good. Um, and so she's, like, reading this, and she's like, oh, this is weird. And then the next day, they, she goes to school, and they're like, we're going on this class trip to this farm. And 
it's this, you know, old farm. It's been in Vermont. They're in Vermont. It's like, it's been in Vermont for like hundreds of years. And this family, there were these rumors about these two brothers and the woman they loved. And she's like, wait, what? And so the bus pulls up and it's the super creepy bus driver. And she's like, hmm, this is getting weird. And they go to the farm. And of course, it's the farm of the very people she's been reading about in this book. And so she's kind of concerned. And then the bus breaks down. And they're all stuck at the farm while the sun is going down. <gasps> there are lots and lots and lots and lots of scarecrows. And every time she doesn't look at them, it seems like they're kind of alive out of the corner of her eye. And so it's getting dark and everything's getting weird and her digital phone is telling her to run. So she decides that's what she's gonna do. And she remembers the advice, avoid large spaces. And so she runs into the woods. And that's where I'm gonna stop with that. But it's really fun and creepy. And I really like Ollie. She's very realistic. She's selfish and she's jealous and she's impulsive. And, you know, she loves books. So, you know, obviously she's a hero. <laughs> um, I have a confession to make. I have never read a Goosebumps book. But looking over the reviews that people left for this after I read it, so many people compared it to a Goosebumps. They're like, it's a modern day Goosebumps book. So... If you loved Goosebumps books, there you go. That's hard to say if you love Goosebumps. <laughs> <laughs> so this one is called Small Spaces, and it's by Catherine Arden. Interesting. Um, I did not realize, I didn't pick it up this way on purpose, but my next book is, it's also YA, and it is a little bit Halloween-y. It's got, like, some spooktacular stuff going on. It is For a Muse of Fire, which, again, is the first in a series. Sorry, y'all. Apparently, this is what I'm reading right now. Um, and it's about a young woman named Jetta, who is part of this family of, um, shadow players. They do, like, puppet shows with shadows, um... Which is an awesome thing. And they are like particularly renowned for doing really amazing work. And they travel around in their like little caravan um, and do shows for various villages and towns and big events. Um, and so they are headed to sort of a main city because uh, there's a colonial army like, you know, taking over their country and there's war and unrest and people are dying and her older brother brother um, went off to be a soldier and never returned and she's pretty sure he's dead um, and they're just like I guess we should leave the country so we're gonna try to go and earn a bunch of money to get on this ship that will take us away to a safer place um, and they are on their way when they sort of fall afoul of some, or they get like stuck in the middle of a battle and everything sort of starts to go wrong from there. And the thing that is tricksy about this is that Jeddah has some magical powers that must be kept a secret. Um, she can actually capture souls of things, like like the soul of a cricket that just died, or a spider, or a leaf that fell off a tree, or a kitten, um, and put them into her shadow puppets. And then they like sort of are animated on their own. So she can do things that you know nobody else can do, but nobody can know that it's magic. They just have to pretend it's like very fancy pu puppetry. Um, and she herself is a bipolar main character like explicitly um the author has said she's bipolar and so you see her decision making sort of vary depending on when she's on an upswing or a downswing and it's it feels so i mean from what i know of bipolar disorder it feels so accurate to real life like you know she'll she'll take these big risks 
And then she like, you know, when when she's on her downswing, she just has, she's, you know, got fatigue and can't move for four days. And, you know, her family are well aware of um, her sickness. And that's another reason they want to leave the country is that there's rumors of a cure and they want to try to cure her. Um, and so there's a lot going on. There's like, there's real emotional stakes because you have this family story and there's real personal stakes because Jetta, you know, has this magic that nobody can know about. And you start to find out, you know, as the book goes along, like where does the magic come from and why does it have to be so secret? And then there's this political situation. There's so many layers to this book. I really loved it. Um, it is inspired by Asian cultures and by French colonialism specifically, but it's definitely like like a whole different world, you know, it's not a one-to-one ratio of, you know, any specific uh, of our countries. Um, And Heidi Heilig is a woman of color and she's like, she's doing a lot of fascinating things here. So it is an own voices book. And I just thought it was so entrancing. I was totally, I felt like I could see the shadow plays that she was putting on when she gets to do those. And I was totally like, oh no, what's going to happen next at several moments? Like the stakes feel really, really high. Um, And there's some really like, you know, dark moments. And I just thought it was, yeah, I, I blazed through it. I actually read this one on a plane and it was like the perfect plane read because I was just lost to the world for however long I was reading it. Like I was nowhere else but in this book. Um, and I can't wait to see what happens next. And I will say that like, obviously it's the first in a series. Like there are some threads that have not been tied yet, but I felt like it landed on a pretty satisfying thing. So, I mean, I'm not super cliffhanger sensitive, so who knows how other people feel, but I, I was like, oh, okay. Like I feel like I got a good amount of story, but I'm also ready for whatever's next. So that is For a Muse of Fire by Heidi Heilig. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Good stuff. My next pick is a graphic biography, I guess. It's only a graphic memoir, <laughs> but it is comic, so we're going to call it a graphic biography. It's called Grand Theft Horse. It's by G. Neary and illustrated by Corbin Wilkin, and it's actually the story of G. Neary's own cousin, Gail Ruffu. She was one of 13 children. One of 13. Wow. My goodness, yeah. She was one of the older ones. Uh, her father was in the army. She is an army brat. Uh, they traveled around a lot, and ever since she was little, the steady constant in her life was that she loved horses. Loved horses. Wanted a horse, but they moved so much. You know, her parents were like, you can't have a horse. You can't have a horse. Then when she finally got a horse, they were like, guess what? We're moving to England. Horse isn't coming with us. You know, heartbreaking. Uh, so when she's a teenager, she's like 14, I think, they moved to England. Uh, she ended up going to a classical dressage school, which is like fancy, learn about horse school. That's that's the uh, accurate description, I believe, in the dictionary. <laughs> Um, and she, it's, the way they treat horses in the, in Europe is a little different than the way that they treat horses, uh, in America, horses that are being shown and horses that are being raced. Um, and she wanted to bring what she learned about horses back to the United States. Um, for instance, they don't give horses drugs in Europe. Like if they're racing and they're injured, like they don't give them drugs. They don't run them if they're not well. Um, and which is something that is done here in the United States. Horses are run in horrible conditions, very often injured, and according to this book, approximately 26 horses a week die because of these conditions. Um, so she wants, she wanted to stop this, and she came back to the U.S. and she was uh, 
rookie trainer, and she was known for being kind of, you know, difficult to work with, but she was had a way with the horses. She was especially good with um, troubled horses, horses like wild horses. Uh, so in 2004, she finds this horse that people are like, this horse is insane, crazy, like, just so violent, and nobody can work with it, you know, and she has a connection with it. And she's like, this is an amazing horse, and this horse could beat all the other horses if it races. It just needs some, you know, TLC. And so she wants to buy this horse. She doesn't have the money. So she gets a partner, this lawyer that had um, worked with her before, and they buy this horse. Its name is Urgent Envoy, and it's, like, love at first sight, and she sleeps in the barn with it, and she takes care of him, and they work out really well together, but it turns out that the partner that she had... She ends up having, they, there's like three partners plus her, so she's, or four partners plus her, so she's like a 20% owner of this horse. Um, they are tired of waiting for her to uh, train this horse, and they want it to start running immediately, and because they are the majority owners, you know, she doesn't really have any say in it. And so what happens is they race the horse too soon, he gets injured, uh, and she tries to stop them from racing the horse again. They complain to the state board. She loses her license as a trainer. So now she can't even, like, visit the horse. She has no say in what happens. So she steals him. She kidnaps the horse, takes him out of the barn in the middle of the night, and brings him to an undisclosed location. And that's when she becomes, like, the first person in many decades to be charged with grand theft horse, which was a law that was on the books since, like, 1850 or something. Uh, and it, because at first they're like, they call the cops, they're like, she stole our horse. She's like, it's my horse too. They're like, okay, the police say it's a civil matter. But eventually they get around it and they press charges and she has to go to court and it goes all the way up to the Supreme Court because she's like, I'm not going to tell you where this horse is and I'm not going to let you race it. And she loses everything. She has no money. She's living out of her car. You know, she's barely eating every day because she really believes in saving this horse. And, you know, this is what she's going to stick with. And it's so, like, heartbreaking, but also inspiring, and she's very strong, and it's, it's one, like, what she does is wonderful, you know, for this horse. So again, it's called Grand Theft Horse, and it's by G. Neary and Corbin Wilkin. I saw that title on the agenda, and I was like, what could this book be about? And that was better than anything I came up with in my head. It, like, the law itself was so old that... The judge, when she first had to appear for court, she's like, okay, so, you know, Gail Ruff was being charged with Grand Theft Auto, and they're like, no, Grand Theft Horse. And he's like, I just, I thought that was a, a mistake. I, I right. what? And they're like, yeah, right here, 1850, law, stealing horses. Bananas. Because it's like, it's like a felony. Like, she could go to jail for it. Wow. Um, so, speaking of nothing to do with anything <laughs> <laughs> regarding horses, our next sponsor is The Great American Read. PBS has a list of America's 100 best-loved novels, and they need you to help pick number one. So don't miss The Return of The Great American Read, a seven-part television series and online event that has all of America talking about books. Join host Meredith Vieira and some of your favorite authors, celebrities, and athletes for a celebration of reading. You can go to pbs.org and see the list, then vote for your favorites, share with your friends, and join the conversation at hashtag GreatReadPBS. I got so lost in, like, talking about some of the titles that are on this list last time. I'm going to try and do better this time, but there's so many good books. Mm. Uh, Their Eyes Were Watching God, which I read this year for the first time, and it was amazing. Yes. Swan Song by Robert McCammon, which I feel like 
so many people still don't know about, but if you like The Stand, that is a comparable uh, read. You should check it out. Um, Rebecca by Daphne Dumar. Marie, I can't even say it, uh, which I still have not read, but I did purchase recently, so that's exciting. Pillars of the Earth, 100 Years of Solitude, so many great books on this list. So watch The Great American Read continuing each Tuesday through October 23rd, and tune in to discover if your favorite novel is voted as America's favorite book. I did not know that about Swan Song, and I love The Stand, so now I have to read it. <gasps> Liberty. Yeah. I feel like he's he's one of those authors that so many people, like, I feel like I've read everything by him and everyone I know knows about him, but yet it feels like nobody knows about him. Yeah. I, I mean, it's definitely, kind of strange. I've heard his name, but I definitely have not read this book. Mm, interesting. All right. To the library. <laughs> um, okay. My next book also came out last week, but I don't care because it didn't get talked about on the podcast. So, or actually, maybe it was two weeks ago. It was September 8th. But it's really good, you guys, and I'm going to talk about it anyway. Um, it's My Own Devices by Dessa, which is an essay collection uh, that is also a memoir. Memoir and essays, I guess is what you call that. And Dessa is a rapper and singer who I have been listening to for years. And for those of you who were bagrageous listeners... Um, I don't know if anybody but me remembers this, but Dutch, one of her songs, Dutch, was like sort of the unofficial first theme song of Book Rageous because um, it's so good. So that's like going back a ways. But I really love her stuff. So I was really excited when this essay collection was coming out. Um, and it, it, the subtitle kind of tells you it's true stories from the road on music, science, and senseless love. Um, she has a really interesting brain. She actually went to college for philosophy before like dropping out and you know becoming a rapper um and she writes poetry and also you know creative nonfiction, and you get to see sort of her evolution from this you know student to then a musician and how that worked and how she got there and the the major through line in this is that she um when she first starts rapping with doom tree which is the minneapolis crew that she's part of she falls for one of her fellow rappers and they have this on again off again years long relationship that just sort of never goes anywhere but is inescapable and they keep thinking oh we'll try again it doesn't work out um and w the one of the my favorite essays in the collection uh, call off your ghost involves her deciding that she's gonna try to literally change her brain like she can't get him out of her brain so she reaches out and finds these neuroscientists who are willing to like do fmri scans and like neurofeedback to try to help her get over this heartbreak that she feels whenever she thinks of him and it's so interesting and so well written and there's a bunch of other good ones in here too there's one uh, essay that's just like a glossary of in, of different words but it's so funny and there's a really beautiful essay about her relationship with her dad and like I don't know I just I just thought it was really well written and really interesting and I've been thinking about you know if you're not familiar with her music like, would you still like it? And I think the story is, I do think it all stands alone well enough. And I think her 
voice is strong enough and I think her life is interesting enough um, that you could read it. But you should also obviously listen to her music. And she has a song on the Hamilton mixtape um, that like went over really, really huge. So, you know, she's she's like you might have actually heard her and not even realized it. Um, so, yeah, I love these sort of essay collections that are memoirs and by people with really interesting stories. And she's so good at telling her stories in a way that feels entertaining. There's another one. I'm just like babbling now, but there's one more that I want to talk about where she's filming a music video and it involves her like putting on this like massive billowy dress and then like going underwater to sit next to a statue that's in this like, you know, underwater place. Um, And like, (laughs) and she doesn't know much about swimming or diving at all. And so she's trying to like train for this and she's like not working. And like the whole story is just about her like trying to get this shot for this video, but she manages to make it like a, like a whole reflection on like life and how you deal with difficulties. And I don't know, it's just great. So um, again, that's my own devices by Dessa. And if you want to hear from her yourself, she is on an episode of recommended that we will leave a link to in the show notes talking about one of her favorite books. Um, so that's my pitch. Yeah. Well, look at that. You know, I was going to school to be a rapper, but then I dropped out to be a philosopher. <laughs> You're the flip of Dessa. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, so for my last pick, it's back to talking about things I love, like weird science and death. It's The Poison Squad, One Chemist's Single-Minded Crusade for Food Safety at the Turn of the Century by Deborah Bloom, who wrote The Poisoner's Handbook, which I think I talked about on Backlist last week. Love that book. Love this book. Uh, I'll let you know that if you love living in blissful ignorance of what is in your food and not passing any judgment, just letting you know this is not the book for you. (laughs) But however, uh, what is in your food is nothing compared to what used to be allowed in food, and that's basically what this is about. It's about how uh, companies figured out how to cut corners by filling your food with things like chalk, paint, formaldehyde, crushed bugs, coconut shells, burnt rope, floor sweepings, all kinds of lovely stuff. Uh, this is probably like in the 18, 1800s, 1850s, they discovered that like all this terrible stuff was being done to milk because you could sell a lot more of it if you watered it down and changed its color with chalk instead. Um, and in New York City alone, thousands of kids died from drinking the embalmed milk, and it was a whole big thing that the government was like, meh, whatever, no regulations. Uh, so America was like, we're getting super rich off this stuff, like, and companies are getting rich, and why would we do that? But it all changed in 1883 when Dr. Harvey Washington Wiley became, he was a chemistry professor from Purdue University and became the chief chemist at the agriculture department. And he began a 30-year campaign against food and drink fraud. And the title The Poison Squad comes from the name that was given to his test subjects. Like, he had human subjects that would try things out. Uh, And it's about his 30 years of struggle until 1906 when they finally passed the Food and Drug Act. Uh, And they began holding corporations accountable for what they were doing and making them regulate the terrible things that they used to make their food last longer and all the stuff that they would add into it. You've probably heard of The Jungle by Upton Sinclair or had to read The Jungle. Mm. Um, And that's pretty much like 
the only book about this kind of stuff in this time period that I know of. And Upton Sinclair is actually, he's actually featured in this book. So basically, this is a part of history that is pretty unknown for the most part. Mostly, I think, because it's still going on today. Uh, so it's so fascinating, and Deborah Blum is so good at investigating and writing this stuff and making it so interesting. And like I said, you have to have a strong stomach for some of it, so no pun intended. Um, so again, it's called The Poison Squad, One Chemist's Single-Minded Crusade for Food Safety at the Turn of the Century by Deborah Blum. You know, it's not the same time period, but there's this book by Ruth Ozeki called My Year of Meats. Did you ever mm -hmm. read that? It's a novel, right? Yeah, it's a novel. Yeah. So it's, but it's, I did not. It's about a documentary uh, filmmaker who ends up getting hired to produce this, like, basically a reality show for the Japanese viewing audience about beef. Like it's sponsored by like big beef. Um, mm -hmm. And so she goes around and like interviews these like, you know, American households and how they cook meat. Um, but the, it gets into the beef industry, specifically like hormones and stuff. Oh man, it was like, it was intense. Um, <laughs> it was really... Talk about needing a strong stomach. It's just like, wow. Um, I try to avoid, like, restaurants and books that have meat in the title. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I know you vegan. are a vegan, so <laughs> you should... If you weren't yeah. already, that one might make you a vegan. Um, but you are already, so you don't need to read it. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, in a slightly different vein, my last Speaking book... Speaking of animated meat... I know. <laughs> Speaking of weird experiments on things, it's The Dark Descent of Elizabeth Frankenstein by Kirsten White is my next pick. And I'm not going to lie to y'all. I read this book because Kirsten White is writing a Buffy the Vampire Slayer universe novel. And I was like, I'm going to check this lady out. And then it just so happened that um, she had a new book coming out the same week as we were recording for this show. So that worked out beautifully for me. And I am now extra excited about the Slayer novel because I really love this book. Um, it is, as you might have guessed, about a young woman named Elizabeth Frankenstein. Um, her uh, maiden name is Elizabeth Lavenza, and she grows up in a really abusive household um, in, uh, where do they live? Europe. I'm, a ter I'm terrible at geography. Is it Vienna or Geneva? <laughs> anyway, she okay. and um and she she but then one day like a chance encounter like from the parents of Victor Frankenstein that Victor Frankenstein they're looking for somebody to be like a companion to their young weirdo son and so she like basically gets like an interview to see if she can be a companion so she's very like she very much wants to escape this you know home that she's grown up in and she will do anything to please this family, including befriending this weirdo boy. Um, and she does. And so they bring her home and she basically is like, you know, becomes a sort of minor part of the family where she doesn't have a job in the household, in the Frankenstein household. Her job is just to be friends with Victor because he is not emotionally stable and he basically needs constant looking after. And the, his mother is just like, Oh, he's your job now. Like I wash, I'm not, I'm going to go raise my other children and like do whatever. And like, you're in charge of Victor. Um, and so she does, she like does everything for him and like with him. And they kind of, there's this like love story. And where the book 
sort of pseudo love story. Um, I say that with big like air quotes. And then the book picks up because Victor has sort of disappeared and she needs to track him down because she's afraid that since he's not at home, like he went off to school and then he hasn't returned and she's really afraid that she's going to get ejected from the household. So she needs her own security relies on her finding Victor. So she goes looking for him and she finds him. And what we know as like readers is that she finds him right after he has created the monster. But she, all she knows is that he has been doing terrible experiments. She doesn't know exactly what he's been doing. So she brings him home and he's like, oh, we'll get married. And she's like, cool, because I need my future secure. And that is a way that I can get it secured. But then she starts to like see that perhaps... He has done some terrible things and like to rethink her decision. And it is a really amazing story about like who we are sometimes forced to become to the point where we don't even know who we might be outside of this one specific role that we fill. And how do you go about breaking free, especially when your entire livelihood and like daily survival depends on being this one specific thing to someone else? Like if this is your only option, then why you would you would maybe never break free of it. And so what happens if you start to understand what you've done to yourself and if you start to see that, you know, maybe this is not sustainable or maybe the cost becomes too too high. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, I'm getting over a cold. So I'm a little croaky. Um, but yeah, so she's like a really calculating and pragmatic character because she's had to be to stay alive. And... There are also some female friendships in this book that are just amazing. Oh my gosh, they made me so happy. And seeing Elizabeth sort of start to take control of her own life in a way that doesn't just involve her manipulating others so that she can, you know, continue on in the role that she's had for so long is amazing. And and there's some great action sequences and it's spooky and it's weird and it's dark and, you know, it has all of the Frankenstein stuff that you might know if you are a fan of Frankenstein stories, which I am including the original, obviously. But, um, yeah, it's just got it's got so much good stuff in it, and it's got really amazing female characters, and it's just sort of, like, it ends, and you're just like, this is, like, almost, like, triumphant in a way. Like, it j- I, just, I just loved it. Um, and Victor Frankenstein is the worst. Like, hashtag <laughs> the worst. And it was really delightful to see Kirsten White take on that character, because if you've read the original, like, he is kind of one whiny and terrible and you're like Ugh, I don't really like him I don't feel bad for him like he's done these things and like he has brought this all upon himself and like I think Kirsten Waite agrees with me at least in the context of this book like yeah he just like kind of deserves what he's got coming um so again that is The Dark Descent of Elizabeth Frankenstein definitely a good spooky fall read for sure you know I read Frankenstein for the first time this summer and I loved it but the only thing that I found shocking in it was at the beginning when they're like, hey, Victor has this young cousin whose mother has died and her father doesn't want to take care of her, so let's bring her into the household and raise her to marry Victor. Mm-hmm. I was like, 
What? Yes. So this is that character's story, yeah. right? Which I had kind of forgotten because it's been so long since I read Frankenstein, which is weird, right? That's weird. Yeah. Um, Let's groom her to be his wife. Yes. But also live in our house. Right. Like, it's, mm. I also don't know that it's that uncommon. Like this. No, no, not at all. That plot device shows up so often that it must be based on something. Um, yeah. But it was so it was really lovely to see an author decide to like give that you know person that role the, her own story. And yeah, loved it. What are you going to read next? I I finally have my next nonfiction read, which actually hasn't been that long, but I, I clearly do not read as much nonfiction as I read fiction. But David Quammen, who I love and have read like everything that he's published, has a new book out called The Tangled Tree that's all about like DNA and evolution and this whole new sort of family of beings that you know maybe we don't even like that we didn't even know about until the 70s and I'm super interested and he's he's got such a readable style um so I'm really jazzed to get into it I've read like the first chapter and I already feel smarter (laughs) (laughs) what about you I'm going to read he by John Connolly which I don't think is out here yet I don't know I I got a copy sent to me from Across the Pond, uh, it's a novelization of Laurel and Hardy, huh. I believe. I haven't looked at it, so I'm kind of excited. Although, basically, my Laurel and Hardy knowledge comes from watching Larry and Balky. Right. They do, like, a really good Laurel and Hardy, so that's the whole reason I'm excited about it, really. So, But it'll be great. John Connolly is great, so nice. I'm excited for that. And that is it for today. Thank you to our sponsors. Go to mytbr.co slash treatyourshelf to sign up for personalized TBR recommendations. Go to thirdlove.com slash books now to find your perfect fitting bra and get 15% off your first purchase. And watch The Great American Read on PBS continuing each Tuesday through October 23rd to find out if your favorite novel is voted as America's favorite book. You can drop us a line at all the books at bookriot.com if you want to let us know something. You can find us online. I am Miss Liberty. Jen is on Tumblr at, oh my goodness, I lost your handle. What is your handle? <laughs> it's Jen IRL, and that's Jen with two N's. Okay. Uh, you can go to Apple Podcasts and leave us a rating or review. It helps other book lovers to find us. And as much as we would love to tell you about more books today, Jen and I can only talk in exclamation points for so long before we have to recharge our batteries. So we don't have the time, but we, you can read about more books out now in the show notes at bookriot.com slash all the books, as well as find a link to our weekly new books newsletter. And in the meantime, happy, happy reading. reading.